Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for December 2022. So this month I'm going to be talking about uh, QBasic uh, input output and graphics. So this is going to be a little bit more in depth. I did a presentation I guess a few years ago on just the overview of QBasic and the history of it but this is going to be a little bit more in depth. So I learned programming back in around 1995 when I was a teenager using QBasic. And uh, back then we didn't have internet access or and that's like right when Prodigy and AOL were starting to start up and you were limited on how much time you could spend online is like $9.95 for the first like five hours and then $2.95 for each additional hours. And there really wasn't a lot of stuff on the internet back then. So everything that... Uh, I the only reference I had to learn QBasic was through the uh, built-in help files. Uh, so going back like 27 years later now, I can look up things I didn't know back then and 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 really learn how some of these things work. So so I, I made a few basic QBasic games back in the day, and I always like wanted to make a Final Fantasy game. But the problem was I never was able to like get that real-time keyboard feel, the input. Really wasn't able to do the nice like graphics or anything. Uh, but going back now, I found out you can do some of those things. Um, so the first thing that I, after I went back and looked at it, uh, there's this thing called in keys. And th this is basically how you get input from the keyboard. Uh, this is the way, if you look at the example programs, they tell you how to do it just to get the value from in keys it's like a buffer of keys that the user has pressed so every time you call in keys then it gets the next button so what i didn't understand back then was well if you get that value from in keys like if you press the letter a then it's going to return a or capital a like like it says here if it's a standard key uh, then it just returns the value of that key there are some uh, exceptions like it's the escape key is character 27 that's what that chr dollar is uh it's kind of like casting an int to a character uh right there tab characters character nine number nine and space of 32 that's kind of standard ascii character values or uh, american standard characters for information inter interchange but what i didn't understand one thing i never was able to get working in any of my old games when i was programming learning programming when i was a teenager is how do you get the arrow keys? Uh, so all my games, I think I just use like ASDF or or the numeric keypad, like four for left and six for right, eight for up and two for down. But I found out there is a way to get the arrow keys. And I think I knew this because I mentioned it later in the slides, but there's two example programs that came with QBasic. And my first computer was a 386 uh dos 5.0 i think i eventually upgraded to dos 6.22 windows 3.0 and upgraded to windows 3.1 uh, but back then windows was more like an application that ran on top of dos so i really didn't spend a lot of time actually in windows if you're playing games it's a lot faster just to boot into dos directly into dos um and then you could always run Windows. I think you just type Win, W-I-N, that would start up Windows. So Windows was really an application back then. But if you really wanted to play games, you really didn't go into Windows. Uh, Windows 3.0 or Windows 3.1. You just ran them directly from DOS. Uh, so the point being is like, well, whenever I was programming, I just run QBasic directly from DOS. There's two two example programs. One was Nibbles and one was Gorilla. Um and it's basically like a standard snake game where you eat the uh, apples or I think it's numbers. Uh, and then as you eat more numbers and your snake increases. But the point of that is that example program used the arrow keys. So I knew there had to be a way to get the arrow keys uh, in QBasic. And these days with Unity and GameMaker, you don't even think about it. It's like, okay, they just provide functions to get, get any key that you want. But reading through some of the documentation looking at some of the stuff online uh, I, I did find this uh, it, to get one of what they call the extended keys the non-printable keys uh, then what it does in keys it returns a two-byte string and back when I was 
learning programming. I didn't have any idea what a string was, a character string was. I uh, really didn't know about concatenating and how to get a byte out of a string. I just knew it was just like a word, like hello or whatever world was a string. But I really didn't know that each character of that string was an individual byte. So what you can do is you can get the first byte and the second byte of your in key. So if it uses an extended key, then it's going to return a two-byte string. The first byte is going to be character zero or int zero. And then the uh, second number is, I think, typically the keyboard scan, scan code. Uh, so whenever you press a button on your keyboard, that is associated with the integer value, which I'll show here in a second. So to get the left arrow, basically, you're going to get a two-byte string from end keys. The first is going to be zero, and the second is going to be 75, which is the scan code for the left arrow. If you want to get a function key, then it's the first byte will be character zero, and the second one will be 59. So th this works. So I was kind of happy. I was actually able to get a demo working. I think I have my DOS box here up and running, uh, QBasic, and I already got my drive set up. So I got uh, my programs on drive. So this is key demo right here. Uh, that I wrote a few days ago. So I got these keys defined here, like escape, key one, A upper, A lower. The nice thing about in keys, it can detect whether you've pressed an uppercase A or lowercase A. So you don't have to actually check the state of the shift button, which is kind of nice. But here's what they call the extended characters. So I got these two characters. So a character is basically an integer, an 8-bit, value and two of those together makes two bytes 16 bits together so we're just concatenating these two together right here so i got this thing called key last the last key that the users press so if the last key the users press is empty um then we're going to read out of the let's see here if it's not empty then we're going to take the key that's pressed and assign that to key last and there's a reason for doing that uh with the key buffer but uh, here I just do a check if the key pressed is character 65, which I could have just used the uh, key A upper up here, here. Then I'll say you pressed A. If it equals character 97, then it's going to press you pressed lowercase a. And what, what's interesting is it starts out on, I think it's bit 6. So, so A is 1 and 5 zeros followed by a 1, I believe. So the first... First uh, is an at sign. Uh, so the, it starts with at, then it goes to capital A, capital B, capital C, all the way to capital Z. And then I think there's a few additional characters like question mark. Actually, you can go into the help. So this is what I used when I was a kid. You had to press F6 to go between these and go to uh, contents. And yeah, here's your ASCII character codes right here. So this is what I used when I was a kid, trying to figure all this out. So like I was saying, 64, yeah, it starts out with an at sign. So it goes A through Z. So then you got a left square bracket, a backslash, a right square bracket, a caret, an underscore. The 96 is a uh, grov sign. I believe that's what that is, backward tick. Then 97 starts with lowercase a, then goes to... Lowercase z at 122, uh, and it just goes up to 127. So that's the standard codes. Then you got the extended codes, and this is all the cool ANSI graphics that you can do that you've seen that I've talked about and used in some of the BBS games and things like that. So yeah, basically go through all these characters and uh, just say, hey, if it's character zero plus 75 then you press the left arrow so it's really not that intuitive so when i was doing this i found another way which i'll talk about in a minute uh you can't get the control key you can't get like the toggle keys uh and you can't get like you can't do a character zero and get one of the standard keys which is kind of unfortunate um it would be nice if you could f6 f6 so it's like S is 83 or 
115, so he can't just like – I don't know why I had 31 there. Oh, yeah, you can't get the keyboard scan code. So so that's the scan code for an S. So I'll talk about scan codes in a little bit. But you can't use the extended key method for the standard keys, which a little bit – I don't know. It, it works, but uh, I wish – I found it like a standard way using the the scan codes that applies in any situation. This this method is like a little bit inconsistent because you got to know what is a standard key and what is an extended key. So here I was just kind of playing around getting the byte. So you can use like the mid dollar. This is kind of like a substring right here. Get the character at one one byte, then get the character at two one byte. And remember that in QBasic, all the indexes start indices indexes start. At one, I've ran into problems when I'm like using a locate statement. Locate basically tells where you want to print, like right here, locate one one. That's where you want to print on screen. Um, if you do locate zero, then your program will crash. And I, I'll be scratching my head. I'm like, what? Well, what did I do wrong? And I was like, oh yeah, QBasic starts at one, index one. There's some additional functions, which I, I mentioned later. You really don't need to worry about these. Or I'm not, really not going to talk about peak and poke and sad with a double D uh, in here. It, it's just a way to get the memory location of a string. So I'm going to sleep, and then I'm going to read the key press from the end keys. And something I'll talk about here in a minute is clear, clearing the input buffer. So basically just gonna loop until key press equals this key escape. And the key escape is um, character 27. So if you run this, so I got the end key value, so I'm just gonna like press D. So I press D, if I hold shift and press D, then it's gonna display my capital D. If I press F1, then here's where I'm gonna go in. So I'm showing the byte, the first byte is zero and the second byte is 59, which is the keyboard scan code. Uh, but if you just print these out, it's just going to look like a space and a semicolon. Because 59 is the ASCII character for semicolon. But using the extended method, it's really getting the keyboard scan code. So if I press Q, it's going to do 113, capital Q, 81. So now we're working with the ASCII value. So if I press the number 1, 49, if I do exclamation point, 33. 2 is 50, 3 is 51, 4 is 52. Uh, like I said, if you do lowercase a, then that's 65. S is 83. D is 68. I guess I got my caps lock on there, maybe. Capital F is 70. Uh, if I press up arrow, uh, so the, it's going to give me two bytes. So the first byte is going to be that null character, which is zero. The second byte is 72, which is the keyboard scan code. But when you actually print that out with the print statement, it's just going to look like a, a space or an empty followed by a capital H. So in some of the examples, like in the, the, the Nibbles example, you'll actually see the program say, like, character zero plus H, which makes it even more confusing. I like just working with keyboard scan codes. It's just kind of standard. So left is 075, right is 077, down is 080, up is 072. And those are int values. Those are the character int values right there. If you do insert, so here's another extended key. It's 082. Uh, delete is 083. Uh, home is 071. End is 079. Uh, page up is 073, and page down is 081. Usually don't use those in a lot of games, uh, but the keys, the arrow keys are important. I think you can do scroll lock. No, you can't do scroll lock within keys. So press escape. That gets us out of that. So that's kind of like uh, the basic input method, and the 15-year-old me would have been never really understood like the concept of like the two byte string here and like getting the arrow keys out of that. So that that's, I kind of want to go back and remake my games when I was a teenager, uh, using some of these things that I learned. Yeah. Here I mentioned unable to get to toggle keys, like control and scroll lock. So I actually do put the ASCII reference here, uh, from qbasic.net, uh, for the ASCII key and scan codes. But remember if you just press F1, 
actually you gotta put press F1 on your on a function there. You can go to the and press F6 twice. You can go to the contents and the keyboard keyboard scan codes that I mentioned. You just press enter there. So you can see. Well, where's let, this? Does does this have the arrow keys? Uh, yeah, so left or four is 75, right or six is 77. So the thing is with the keys, the, the scan code method, you can also get the numeric keypad. So it doesn't really make any distinction between the left arrow key and the number four key on the, on the numeric keypad. And that, and also you gotta make sure that I think the number lock is on, otherwise it won't register. So that's where you get the keyboard scan codes right there, or you can find these online too. So just remember with N keys, there's two different methods depending on, and oh, by the way, control F10 breaks you out of DOS boxes window here. That's something took me a little while to figure out. Um, so right here, I just took screenshots just in case somebody needed an additional like online reference or something. I got it right there. So the keyboard buffer, whenever you're banging on the keyboard that feeds this buffer. And I read a little bit about the details. I think it's, like actually stored on the motherboard so it isn't in memory or anything but it reads from this input buffer and it's like first in first out uh but the problem is if you're holding the button down it's gonna every like frame every update every time you read in keys you're gonna read one character off that and that's something you probably don't want to do uh like if you're making like an action game you just want to detect when the key goes down and when the key goes up because whenever this key, the way this keyboard buffer works when you hold the button down it registers once like duh, and then it waits like a second and then it does this auto fire so it's like duh, 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 duh. <laughs> so that's the way that it registers the key so if you're holding down like the a key you're going to get a and then a a bunch of times like a few seconds later so what i do and i think there's an example of this in the example programs you can clear the keyboard buffer. And I saw, if you go into your favorite search engine and look up how to clear the keyboard buffer in, uh, online, then you'll get a lot of like articles with people asking how to do it, not a lot of good solutions. Uh, but this is a great way to do it. You just say, while in keys does not equal space, because if in keys equals, or equal, if it equals the blank string, then it means there's no more keys in the key buffer. So you just say while in key. So that's going to keep reading, looping until that key buffer, that in key is empty. So that's what I have down here. While in key does not equal that. If I didn't have this in here and I held like the A button down, the A key down, then I'd get, get an A. And then if I pressed another key, if I held down A for a couple of seconds, and then press a different key, then I get another A, and another A, and another A, and another A, then like eventually the next key that I press. So it's good to clear that key buffer out if you're if you're doing a program like this. Okay. Okay, so this is a new method that I learned. So I call this keyboard advanced or simplified. <laughs> So you can use this key basic function, which I never really knew about when I was a kid. I'm, it is in the docs, in the help manual, but I really never did understand. I, I really, did, I didn't even know what hexadecimal was when I was a kid. But uh, you can see some examples of hexadecimal here. But IMP reads a byte from the hardware port, which I'm still really not clear about. I just know that this keyboard buffer hardware port is at uh, location decimal ninety six, which is also hex. 60 if you do the conversion i did talk about converting between decimal and hexadecimal last month so if you want to know all about converting between number systems look, look at november 2022 not game design so you can either specify imp 96 or imp and how you specify a hexadecimal number in cubasic is with ampersand capital h then the number so ampersand capital h 60 equals 96. So you neither do IMP96 or IMP ampersand H60. So in this example, I'm just going to print that out. So if if the character equals, and in QBasic, you just only use a, I know it looks like assignment. It's really hard to get back into only using a single equal for 
testing equality, but that's how you do it in QBasic. So if equal is like 30, then it says you pressed A. Then we're going to sleep, and then uh, while, while, while we're not pressing a, a key, then which, it, while we're not, well, we haven't pressed the escape key, which is one, key, scan code one, uh, then we're going to loop. But whenever the keyboard scan code equals one, then it's going to stop, stop looping. Um, so yeah, with this method, so if I didn't mention it before, or this uses the stand, scan codes for all the keys. There's none of this OPAR standard keys. In, this is all the keys on the keyboard, the 101 standard keyboard. Uh, you can get almost all the keys. I found out print screen and pause don't work, but any of the other keys, uh, and also the windows and menu key, which back then in DOS, they didn't even have windows and menu keys. Um, and as I mentioned before, the arrow keys share the, the numeric keypad values as well. And, and the nice thing about this is you can actually detect when the key is up. So if it returns like a scan code greater, I believe, than 128, it could be wrong about that. Uh, but I think all the standard keys are blue, which I have a diagram I made next. I think there's actually a bit. It's like the bit sixth or seventh bit uh, tells you whether the key is up or down. So I'm going to have to press space here. So... I got the I found a blank uh, keyboard layout, so I just put in the numbers right here. Uh, so these are not the ASCII values; these are not Unicode values. These are keyboard stand, scan codes, which I think are pretty standard between all keyboards. So like here, you got A is thirty, so it kind of starts out thirty and going from left to right. ASDF. 30, 31, 32, 33. Like QWERTY is 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. F1 to F4 is 59, 60, 61, 62. Uh, your arrow keys, like I mentioned earlier, left arrow is 75, down key is 80, right key is 77, and up key is 72. But yeah, just be aware that it shares those same keys with the uh, numeric keypad. But with the numeric keypad, you also have like 76 for a 5. It kind of goes in rows, 789 is 71, 72, 73, then minus is 74, 4, 5, and 6 is 75, 6, 6, 77, then plus is 78. You can also get the alt keys and control keys. It doesn't make any distinction between the left control or alt key and the right control or alt key, but it, may, it does make a distinction between the left shift and the right shift. Not sure why, but I guess that's just the way they designed the keyboard. I guess they originally just started with one control and one alt and they add the I don't know. But yeah, just know that you can get the left shift and the right shift. Uh enter is twenty eight, backspace is fourteen, escape is one. Uh so those are most almost all the scan codes right there. So let's go back. Alt file open. So this is using the key port. We don't want to save that. So this is basically what I just had right there. So, uh, go ahead and start this. So, it just detects if you press A. So, but it falls, it's going to put 170. So, if I press A, it's going to say you pressed A. The one downside is it doesn't make any distinction between capital A and lowercase a. So, you're going to get a 30 whether to shift this held or not. But the nice thing is, so I'm going to do A, S, D, F. So, 30, 31, 32, 33. Um, but you can see as I lift each key... I get 158, 159, 160, 161. So you can actually detect using this method when a key is lifted up, which is kind of nice. If you're doing a, a real-time game, you need to know when the key is up because usually when you're moving a character around, you want to start accelerating the character on key down, then stop the acceleration when key is up. So the other end key method, you can't detect when the key is up. You have to use the CIMP method. And by the way, if you go into the help menu, then you can read all about INP, uh, read a byte from hardware, and you get, there's also out where you can write to hardware. Like if you're writing to a, a serial port, like a serial modem or a parallel port, things like that. Maybe one of those you can actually write back out to. I can't remember if it's a serial or... I guess parallel port you can't write to. Something like that. So... That was like how to solve my problem, my, my teenager problem of 
of how to get the the keys and uh, detect when the key is down, when the key is up. Because in my old Cubasic games, uh, it would have that problem of the character moving one, then then gradually across the screen. So it, it just really didn't feel right. So the other problem that I had was drawing to the screen, which I, I, I did have it where I didn't know enough where I could create a standard like draw string which would like draw one of these trees but i'd be calling draw over and over and over again for every one of the these trees here uh, which is okay um, but it kind of has that pop-in feel uh, so yeah so i have these broken into different cases so the first case is drawing uh, for each object the objects fill in as they're drawn which is kind of cool if you're going for an old school uh, fill to your game you can actually see the the paint algorithm filling things in which is kind of cool sometimes uh but i put here slow it does have the old school feel uh, and it may be okay if you're not redrawing on every update so yeah it is a very slow method and it will start to lag okay so i'm just going to show some of these examples the first one is just uh drawing the different like different lines to the screen the different characters showing like in, in screen mode 13 there's different screen modes which you can look up in the help uh help manual and go here screen modes so these are all pretty low resolution by today's standard um as you work with screen seven or in screen nine if i'm doing double buffering which i'll talk about in a little bit it has off-screen pages so you can draw stuff to the off-screen first before you flip it over but this one uh, is screen 13 which is 300 by 200 graphics so i guess screen 12 is 640 by 480 which was the first monitor i had was 640 by 480 but it only had one video memory page so everything that you drew you're drawing directly to the screen there wasn't any ability to draw to an off-screen image i think some people have found a way to hack that to get sort of like double buffering but this is just like showing the different colors right there looping through uh, so you start out with the standard like 16 then it, you go through the shades of gray then you go through the the all the different hues and a lighter value lighter saturation and a lighter saturation then it goes to like a darker saturation after that so this is a uh, demo that i found online drawing uh, drawing lines so this is drawing lines to the screen without any double buffering so you can see lot the lines draw as they come in uh, which is kind of like the old school way so basically what this is doing is clearing the screen on every loop kind of like every update and then it's just drawing a lot random line at a random color I shouldn't have that P copy in there that's for the next one so if you go to TB, so I'm using screen nine. So what this nine zero zero one means, that's saying nine. I think the second number is like whether it's color or monochrome, but the third and fourth line is whether the active screen and the, the double buffering screen, I think they call it like the drawing screen or something in the, in the help manual screen modes. So screen nine. So if you want to do double buffering, it's got to have uh, right here one video memory page or two pages. It's trying to go back. Can I press F1 on screen here? Yeah. So yeah, the color switch. That's the second number there. So this is the second method. And you got to call this P copy method right there so p copy is going to take what you've drawn on the off-screen image then put that as the active screen so if we run this you can see all the lines each time so this is something i always like kind of wanted to do when i was a kid it's like yeah just have one frame per update so you don't get the cool paint filling algorithm stuff but but you do just get that single image at a time which I don't know. Looking back, I think the, the paint method is actually seeing the paint method filling in is kind of cool because you really just don't see that anymore. 
just gives it that old school feel. But if you want to have everything drawn on the screen once, you got to use screen nine or screen seven, and then set the active and and drawing screen, then do this P copy uh, to copy everything over at once. So I kind of showed the example here, like if you're not doing double buffering, you can actually see these trees falling, filling in right there, which I think I had, uh, yeah, so it's still pretty quick, even though this is emulating in DOS, DOS box, so this is kind of emulated the same speed as an old 386 or 46. But if you look really quickly, you can see these trees are filling in. It draws the outline first, then it fills in the green top, and then the brown bottom trunk. So yeah, using screen seven. Here's like the drawing code for drawing the tree. This is pretty similar to what I had when I was a kid. Uh, so we're just gonna call draw. And this var pointer dollar, that just says use the value with this SPR tree dollar. And then we're going to paint the green and the brown base. So then on on every loop, we're going to fill in the background of green. And then we're going to go nine columns across horizontally, then five columns down and draw each of these trees. And basically this draw basically moves, this BM for draw, moves the drawing position to the x and y coordinates that that i specify there in the in the loop and then you do an x and then you specify the string that holds the drawing code and then we're going to fill in using paint the green top and the brown bottom so that's what that's doing right there then we're just going to sleep and read keys until the key equals escape Oh, so this is the old method that I was using. So yeah, I should replace this with the while. So this does the same thing as the while, clearing the key buffer, uh, just a little bit extra. And that's the first way I figured out how to do it. And then I found that other while wind way, which is a little bit more efficient. That's the first method, drawing each individual. So the second case is what we're going to do is we're going to draw a reference image. So we're going to draw one tree, and then this is something I didn't know how to do when I was a kid. And I know how to do it now is uh, you draw the image of the tree using your standard line and paint. And then we're going to use the get command. Uh, so that's going to get the array of pixels at the location that you specify. So we're going to do like zero to 31 to get 32 by 32 pixels. So we're going to have that sprite in memory and then every time we want to draw a tree, we're just going to use the put command, which puts those bytes into wherever we tell it to. We put it in the, the video memory. Uh, so we're going to just kind of like stamp. It's kind of like stamping uh, that tree at each location. So now we're not going to see the paint filling effects. It's actually going to fill line by line. So you're kind of just going to see one tree at a time. <clears throat> So yeah, it's faster than doing the draw and paints for each individual tree. So if we go here, file open, gfdemo3. So yeah, we, we do this dim. Dim means dimension, kind of like defining the variables. So we're going to image tree. It's going to be 32 by 32 pixels. We've got the same draw statement right here for sprite tree. Uh, we're going to draw like a solid green rectangle for the background then we're going to move the cursor to zero zero then we're going to draw that tree we're going to fill it in then we're going to do get to get the pixels where that tree is drawn so that's kind of like kind of like silly putty where you put the putty on the image that you want and then once you got it then you go i guess you can stamp it on other places kind of like what we're doing so here's we're kind of like creating the stamp and then down here we're going to use put then x, y, the coordinate, uh, based on the rolling column. And then we're just going to reference that image tree and then use P set. So there's different options you can use when you're stamping these trees. I think one's like XOR. And it basically tells how the image, the bytes that you're, the pixels that you're stamping in, how it's going to interact with the existing background. So let's run this. 
So there's our reference image. We're going to, we drawed it, then we got it into memory, and then, then, it, then it draws it. So if you got a really good eye, you can see this is a little bit faster than the previous method, and you, you don't have any filling effects. Um, I think there is a way in DOSBox to slow down the C cycle speed, but I really don't want to mess anything up right now. <laughs> but if anybody wants to, you can get this code uh, and, and slow it down if you want to. So that's a pretty good method right there. A little bit more efficient than drawing each individual tree. But the third one, I think this is... The best case is the double buffering. Like I said earlier, screen 7, seven to 9 allow buff, buffering off, drawn to the off-screen images, not with VGA modes, which is unfortunate. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, you can use pcopy to copy the, the draw screen to the active screen. You don't have any pop-in. But this is still, in my opinion, too slow for a real-time game. You're getting like one frame a second. So it might work for a strategy game, things like that. And I think on the next next slide, I mentioned blitting. Uh, let's see here. So, GIF demo three. So this is kind of the same code right here. Okay, so this is is the exact same code. The only difference is we're doing p copy zero one. So we're drawn to the off screen image, and then copying over so if you go back to 3b we don't want to save we just got screen 7 here if we go to 3c then we got screen 7001 so that's the only difference is we're defining the off-screen image image buffer and then we're calling p copy after we're done drawing so press shift f5 to run it there's our reference image and there's there it is right there i'm pressing space so there's no filling effects at all. I should have like went in like had something moving around, but it is it's really slow. It's like one frame a second. And the reason why I put clear the key buffer there is like if you keep pressing buttons, then it'll take a while to actually register your escape key. So it's good to clear the the key buffer after every update. Yeah, so that's basically it. I was going to mention blitting. I didn't actually implement this in any of the demos, but so if we draw draw all the trees, which takes a little while, and we got like a, a person on the screen. I actually did this like in my old games my, when I was a teenager. Instead of like redrawing the whole screen again, you just want to move your character and redraw what was in the old position. Draw the character in the new position, then redraw draw what was in the old position. That way, you're not redrawing the whole screen. So. That works pretty well, speeds up drawing time, reduces the lag, uh, like works good for not real-time games. Or if you're not redrawing the entire screen every time, uh, just redraw where the character moves. So, uh, that works pretty good. I'll also mention there are like mem memory manipulation functions. I didn't get into it, but I think there are maybe even faster ways to draw to the screen, just writing directly to the video memory, which I, I didn't get into that. I'll mention it here. So here's some of the advanced, I guess I did kind of mention it here, more advanced memory manipulation. So this is like, if you're a assembly programmer, this would probably make more sense. Like if you're actually going in, getting the memory addresses and, and flipping bits and things like that. Um, so varseg and varpointer mentioned a little bit about that, getting the memory address of like a string. Uh, I've seen def seg quite a bit to access a memory position and memory. Uh, I see peak and poke quite a bit uh, for reading a value out of memory and putting poke is, I guess, maybe a faster way of putting, changing that video or a memory location right there. Then there's sad, which I think is kind of sad. Used to be like students against drunk driving. <laughs> there's mad and sad mothers against drunk driving, students against drunk driving. But uh, yeah, sad is get memory address of a string. Then there's wait, uh, or if you need to wait, it can possibly freeze your program. And then you got as I mentioned earlier, INP and out. Uh, so what I did is I made an improved shooter game uh, using kind of like the stuff that I learned about game development over the years. Uh, so now 
I did a demo of this a few years ago on the Knox Game Design uh, taught, but it's flickery. It didn't have arrow keys. So I went back and made it a better shooter, uh, and also have like a a, a function. It's a, 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 they call them subs procedure for drawing the screen, updating the screen, and init. And then I have one for specifically for shooting and one for checking collision. So uh, one thing I'll I will mention is don't name your sub function sub procedure draw. <laughs> it will not be happy because there's actually a draws a reserved word. It's one of the commands. So don't try to name your your sub function draw. So I I called it draw screen. Um, so let's go here, open, we want to open QB shoot. So here it is right here. So I'm using screen seven, got a randomized timer going on, randomize. I got a player to find. So in QBasic, you got types instead of classes or structures. So you got type, you got a type player and I got a type bullet and a type enemy. So I just have... One one player, one enemy, and you can shoot one bullet at a time. I didn't want to get into arrays because arrays will slow things down. I don't even know if it's possible. I know it's possible, but it'd probably be really, really slow the more enemies you add and the more bullets you add. Uh, so I got a define P is player, E is enemy, B is bullet. And then I got a C for the character input. So I will mention each. The player, the bullet, and the enemy all have an XY width and a height, W and H. They all have a VEL X and VEL Y. Although bullet only uses VEL Y because we're shooting upward. And for the bullet and enemy, I have an is alive value, which tracks whether uh, the bullet is alive or the enemy is alive. So we can turn that on and off, make them active. Also for enemy, I have a speed, so I can vary the speed of the enemy. So as you defeat more enemies, they get faster and faster. And then I got a respawn delay. So if you shoot the enemy, it's going to wait about a second or so. And then respawn that enemy so you can shoot him again. And every time he comes back, he'll be at a random position. I got a bounds value here for saying, hey, the player can't go above a certain Y location. Got a score. Every time I shoot an enemy, I think it gives you 100 points. Got a time limit that ticks down. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a game. You just keep shooting enemies forever. So the time limit kind of makes it so you can see how many enemies you can shoot within that time limit. Uh, and then I got is game over. So once the time limit reaches zero, then we're going to say game over. So here I'm getting a character using that IMP ampersand H60 using the keyboard scan code. So then in my loop here... I just have a knit, a knit before the loop, then I have do and a loop while C does not equal escape. And within that loop, we're just going to get the character and then we're going to call update and alt draw string. So update. So I got all the key codes here. So if the game isn't over, and oh, by the way, for the game over variable, I just use a zero and one. QBasic doesn't have a concept of a Boolean value. Um, so I just use a zero and one for that. So I got all the keys defined. So if it's if they press the up key, then we're going to set the y velocity to negative four. If they press down, we're going to set the y velocity to four. If we set if they press left, then we're going to set the x velocity to minus four. If they press right, then we're going to set the x velocity to four. And then if they press space, which is key code fifty-seven, then we're going to call shoot p shoot. So the nice thing about this, if they release the left key and the velocity of x is less than zero then we want to set the x velocity to zero so if they're going left and release left then we're going to set the x velocity to zero this should really be acceleration but hey this is q basic uh, so we're just going to do velocity it's kind of you don't have that speed up and slow down effect or anything um, if they're pressing right and they let go of right and they're moving to the right, then we're going to set the X velocity to zero. Same for up and down. If they're going up and they release up, then we're going to set the Y velocity to zero. If they're going down and they release the down key, then we're going to set the Y velocity to zero. Otherwise, you just press down and or whatever key and they'll keep going that direction forever. So updating the player is easy. You just add 
the X velocity to the X position and Y velocity to the Y position. Got some bounce checking here, like I mentioned earlier. Just make sure if the player goes above the allowed line, then then we're going to stop them. Or if they go further left than zero, then we're going to set it back to zero. If they go greater than the screen width, we're going to set it back to screen width. That way they can't go off the screen. This is basically the enemy AI right here. So if the enemy is alive, then we're going to add the X and Y velocities. And if they hit the screen, left or right of the screen, then we're going to send, reverse the X velocity. So send them the other way, the enemy the other way. Then if the enemy is dead, if the enemy is not alive, and the respawn delay is greater than zero, then we're going to reduce the respawn delay. Then when it actually does get to zero, then we're going to set a new location for the enemy. Add on, speed them up a little bit, speed them up by two, and, and then we're going to cap the speed at 20 so it just doesn't go completely bonkers if they get so high. Uh, and then we're going to set the X velocity to the speed, and we're going to set the enemy as alive. So that, that respawns the enemy after a, a brief timeout. Here's the bullet. If the bullet's alive, we're going to... I shouldn't even have the X right here because you can only shoot the bullet upward. Um, if the bullet gets to the top of the screen, then we're going to set is alive to zero, so we're not updating the bullet if, if it's off screen. Um, then for each update, we're going to check the collision with the, of the bullet with the enemy. So if I did have an array of enemies, and you would want to get loop through each enemy in the array, but I think that would just slow down things so much. So I have that check collision sub procedure. So check check collision. Go back. I did a whole talk on a few months ago on collision, 2D collision. So this is the this is the code right here. If the bullet is alive and the enemy is alive, and if the X position of the bullet is to the left, to the right, above or below the enemy, then it doesn't collide. Otherwise, it does collide. That's what that's doing right there. And so if, so that's what that, if check collision equals one, then we're going to set the enemy to dead, is alive to false, or to zero. We're going to set the bullet is alive to zero. We're going to set the respawn delay of the enemy to 60. Uh, that will vary based on how fast your game is running. Uh, I could go in here and add like, like a delta time type deal, but when you're dealing with ints, there is a long data type and a few floating point operations we could use in here. Um, but I, just for this simple demo, I didn't do it. And th then play, that's how you play music. I used to love messing around with play because you can like set different octaves and, and length of notes and things like that. Using play. And on every loop, we're going to decrease the time limit by one. And then if the time limit equals zero, then we're going to set is game over to true to one. Then on our draw, we're just going to locate one one. I got still got the key scan code right here, printing that out just to show what key we've pressed. We've got the score we're printing out, the time limit, whether the if the game is over, then we're going to just Print in the middle game over. I got that commented out. Uh, so drawing the player. So right now we're just using boxes. You draw a box with the line command. Uh, so line will draw just a regular line unless you if you specify this BF. I think that means block field. It'll make a rectangle instead of a line. So the player is just a like blue blue square. The enemy is a green square. And then the bullet, I think, is a red square. So you could go back and actually add graphics for those. And here we're just drawing the bounds where the player can't leave. Then we're using that P copy to make it double buffered. So after mentioning all that, here's the game. <laughs> so yeah, we've got the character moving around here. You can't move above the Y bounds. Can't move to the left or out of bounds. So I forgot I added a sound for shooting. But you can see those key get keyboard scan codes up there at the top. And then when you let go of a key, it'll actually put the code for releasing the key. And like I said, I think there's actually a bit for up and down. 
it's actually kind of a challenging game because you can only shoot one at, at a time so you kind of got to anticipate when your bullet's going to reach the enemy so we're getting almost out of time got 500 points oh game over <laughs> so i scored 500 points you press the escape key to quit so i think that's all the demos uh, on the last slide i'll go ahead and mention when in doubt look at look at nibbles the snake game and gorillas i think i mentioned this like on the previous q basic talk that i did but like nibbles nibbles has a lot of good information so i won't go through all this code but they got everything pretty nicely uh defined into different procedures and things like that and you, if you run it it actually asks you if you want color or not so yeah i remember playing this like you could actually go into the like the computer lab at school and they'd have like IBM compatible computers with this on there and you could play snakes and everything so and if you run into yourself you crash I think the only downside is you can't actually break out of this you actually have to lose but uh, anyway uh, when the gorillas was kind of the same you can actually get negative points I wish there was a way to stop this darn thing Yeah, so here's the gorilla, A, B, and it's like you had to have two players or play it by yourself. So you type in an angle, 45, velocity, 50, and you just throw bananas at each other trying to hit each other, 30, actually it should do like 80, 70. They just try to guess where the other, what the required velocity and angle you need to do to hit the other character. But yeah, there's no way to break out of these. Yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for Knox Game Design, December 2022. Hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And uh, yeah, hopefully see everybody back in 2023.